the show. For Thursday, November 10th, 2016, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Over this morning, hmm. how I, are we doing? I didn't drink anything last night, but I do feel that way. Do you do? I feel that way as well. How are you doing, Kishore? I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm I'm definitely somber, um, but there's all there's. I have excellent things that have happened in my life. Otherwise, you've uh, you're you're tasting the bitter taste of democracy. <laughs> it 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 it's tough to swallow, but it's led us to this point, so mm. it's hard to argue with the results. Uh, we are recording this podcast on uh, Wednesday morning, the morning after, and while we are an apolitical podcast, uh, meaning not political podcast, uh, it, we do have to address the big elephant in the room. The elephants have it. Oh, that's funny. <clears throat> that's good. Yep. I mean, th- I think it's not a secret that uh, all of us, for the most part, were supporting the candidate that lost. I think that's been pretty clear. And so it's always hard to wake up when your candidate loses in some ways. Well, so unexpectedly, especially. Yeah, and I, I think I walked away with a couple things. I put a, put a note on Twitter a couple months ago that I didn't know a single Trump supporter in my life, like in my social streams, in my sort of personal relationships. Maybe they existed and they didn't exist. In your streams, you mean? Yeah. Of course they existed in the they, real world. Maybe. In mass. I th- Well... I mean, really, like if we're going back to like really old friends that I haven't seen in like 15, 20 years, probably. But that struck me this morning when I woke up is there's whatever, like 50, 60 million people that voted for him. And I don't know a single person. Uh, And that's that's a combination of how the technology has affected our lives and curated a certain um, set of news and relationships for us. The sphere. That reinforce certain beliefs and that bubble is damaging on a lot of levels. Yeah. And I feel the weight of that, especially this morning that that bubble exists. You know, when they say there is bias in media, that is a bias in media. Self-selecting. Self-selecting bias in, in digital media. We're not just talking about the television networks, cable networks and cable news shows, uh, but we create the echo chambers and that resonate in our circles. And the fact that we don't connect in the digital sense with the uh, supporters on the other side and the other half of the country, uh, it's, it's, it's what isolates us, and it's a real problem. Yeah, it used to be. Well, I mean, newspapers have, they usually take a side, but they, they try to keep colonists from both sides within their ranks, and it used to be that you would read a newspaper and be exposed to different ideas, but with the echo chamber, you're no longer, that no longer happens. Yeah. The, right. Th- it it's uh it was uh, it was also challenging wa- watching this with my kid. Uh, on some level, he viewed it as a sporting event. My kid's five; he doesn't really have like the 
capability to understand sort of nuance. But I'm not sure CNN wasn't treating it like a sporting event, to be honest with you. It's it's true. And there's something sad about that the morning after. Yep. Uh, And it's been that way for a long time. And I don't want to, you know, paint a picture like this suddenly developed. And I think we've been an enabling culture around it. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like a gamification of politics and, and democracy. But in some ways, that's how it's being relayed and communicated because it's the easiest way for people to, one, understand it and to be interested in it. Uh, I do remember the first time a fall election was age, uh, I'd say age eight, um, Actually, what was it? Was yeah, it was a, it was ninety two election, age eight, um, and you know we were told given our assignments to watch the debates and learn about mudslinging, and it was it was still it was a show back then, right? You don't I don't think you feel the consequences or realize what the consequences are really until your far late teens and your your early twenties, e- even in early college. Yeah, uh, there's there's still a, a you know you're, you're, there's still an echo chamber in that world. I didn't feel the the weight of of the choice until I was, you know, I'm fairly politically active, and I was canvassing for a candidate in 2004, uh, and that was the first time I felt the weight of it of being so invested, and then watching the screen and seeing it go the opposite way, uh, and but doing it for reasons that you know, at least in my mind, turned out to be true. The other thing we have to talk about, and. I don't know how to talk about it. There's been some needless hot takes about it already this morning is what happened with the polls. That's right. Um, so all the polls, these, this is just a matter of fact now, polls leading up to elections showed that uh, Hillary was not, there's no such thing as a sure thing, but Hillary had a high percentage chance to win. Somewhere around 70%. In the, in the 70% range, you had in, in more mainstream poll, uh, mainstream analysis, New York Times, high 70%, and then more conservative estimates, low 70, high 60%. And we're mm-hmm. talking about 538, which probably had the most conservative estimates. And if you read Nate Silver's analysis, uh, you know, for better or worse, he's taking pride in the fact that he was conservative in his estimates, and he said they've said again and again, when you look at something that's a 50 or 60 or 70 percent, you know, that's still closer to toss-up than sure thing. I think the last election cycle, they actually called every single state ahead of time. I think that they they're, they were so accurate mm-hmm. that, that that was especially surprising to me that they were so inaccurate this time. But I, it's, it's I, like, like anyone who, is it who knows statistics and, and odds, yeah. right? When you're when you have something leaning leaning one one way or the other, yeah, leaning a, just a, means it's a chance. It's, it's a chance. It's still a toss up. You could flip a coin. If you said if you went to Vegas and said give me sixty percent odds on something, that's yeah, you you take it because it's better than fifty fifty. But it's not the nation at stake. And also, but don't you think that there is something at fault with the polls? I mean, they were basing all of their information on polls. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, but they said they took that into account. One of the analyses leading up to the final distribution, the final statistical analysis, they said, why Why does Trump still have a chance? Why is he still at 35, close to 40%? And it's because it could be polling errors, polling variability, right? They took that. That's taken into consideration. What's maybe not taken into consideration is that the all the polls that they, that they, that's the pool that they draw from could just be completely outdated. The methods. The methods, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and who they sample and how likely they are to vote—all of those factors. Right. Have either of you actually been polled before? Uh, not in this cycle, but I have been polled previous. Cycles. What's the process, and how long was the investment? The time so investment. So, 
I there was a when I used to have a landline, which tells you something about how long it's been since I've been polled. Well, you don't have Comcast Xfinity Triple Play. No, I only have Double Play. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Not a sponsor of this podcast. It, it was it was like a <laughs> three to five minute phone call, and. I happened to be just sitting in my kitchen waiting for something to finish cooking. So I was just standing there anyways. And so I ended up doing it. It was quite painless. Um, I, I have to say I was less than enthused when taking the poll. It felt a little intrusive because it was like 6, 7 o'clock that I got the phone call. They asked me a few questions. The person on the other side was equally not enthused about asking me these questions. Mm. It was all very a ho-hum experience. But are you, as someone being polled, are you incentivized to answer it? Like it's no, nope. n- not at all. It so, must feel like a part of your civic duty. Like you're that's the fulfillment. Yeah, sort of. I mean, honestly, put yourself in the position. It's like six thirty. You're making dinner. You get a phone call, and somebody says, "You know, I'm. I want to ask you a few questions about the election." You're probably your gut reactions be like, "I don't want to do this," right? right. So. And my civic duty didn't like kick in there. I just happened to have the free time. I think everyone, for the most part, is probably busy, way too busy uh, with their own life to really take many of those. So you just have to catch people at the right moments. And the platforms that the Trump campaign ran on, and I'm going to have to practice saying President-elect Trump ran on, really the anti-establishment platforms go against the the polling system because that that feels very much like an establishment system infra, you know infrastructure even though it purports to be independent yeah 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 I think there's going to be lots and lots of analysis of polls in the aftermath of this election yeah uh, at the end of the day I think Nate Silver probably was still right about this like it's hard to say that when he said you know Hillary had a seventy percent chance. But he was super cautious in when there was people talking about why is Trump in Trump in Michigan and Pennsylvania, and he said because like there's data that indicates that the those firewalls may not hold. Like there was a he was actually very conservative in how he read the numbers. And anyone watching the the media last night following the the minutia the break by, district by district breakdown. Of, of votes, you see, it's it's like it's every election cycle. It's the rural areas go one way, and the big, uh, heavily populated city areas go another way. And you know, it's easier to vote in some places than others, maybe. Um, but also, you, you can't discount that tiny votes here and there in the in some parts of the country aggregate to big numbers, half the country. I expect the question of how did this happen to echo for a while right i think i mean i wouldn't i think we're gonna see documentaries on this literally the day after it's all hot takes right now people are saying you know oh uh not as many people turned out if you look at the numbers and the final tallies haven't been accounted for so even the numbers they have right now which show hillary up by a couple hundred thousand in the popular vote aren't the final tallies right california takes weeks to actually count every single vote but just looking at the total numbers you have many fewer people are millions of fewer people voting for Hillary then voted for Barack Obama. And that's part of how you can point to why the wall fell. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Shall we move on? Gentlemen? Let's move on. Um, I mean, the one final thing to say is, it, it, if it had been the other way around, the message would have still been the same. Like we encourage participation in the democratic process. It's a system that we believe in, and a system that isn't perfect, but it's it's one that's strong and has held our country together for so long. And it's a it, system that allowed my my immigrant family to flourish here in this country, and and mine too, and for many of our listeners and many of us, and. Just because one side won, um, and even it's not our side or your side or whoever's side, it doesn't mean that you're going to change the way you what you believe in. And it, if anything, it should make you feel stronger about your beliefs. And and uh, I mean, we want our country to succeed no matter what. And so I think in Hillary's speech this morning, she said, you know, give him a chance to lead, and but or we don't want to be setting anyone up for failure because we want our country to succeed. All right. We did have some good news a week ago. Oh, yeah? The Cubs won the World Series. That's right. Could you believe that? Wow. Jeremy, from <coughs> sh- who you lived in Chicago for several years. You almost said I was from there. I yeah, know. my wife is. Uh, yeah, I lived there for seven years, and so that was a big deal. Uh, I mean, I'm you know I'm sure it was a bigger deal to people who've lived there their whole lives, but <clears throat> that was a huge. It was a really good feeling night. I, I, the Back to the Future was off by one year. <laughs> Did you watch the whole game? Yeah. Uh, so I was hosting a science festival event. We are we had taken over the Alamo Draft House, mm. and you know there are all these people giving talks, and like you could see like the whole crowd with their phones out. You know, like the Draft House is famous for having like the if you get your phone out like. You're Goodbye. Out. Yeah. Like Doesn't kick you out. And they made an exception for this <laughs> for Good this night. night and this event. Because they're like, all right. What in the, a, in the Cubs. What an amazing game. Did you did you watch or you were too busy? I, I actually record DVR'd it. it and was, I saw I watched from like the eighth inning on. It was crazy. You would have been real proud of me. I was into sports like heavily that night. It was a lot of fun. It was the most watched sport uh, baseball game in many many years. Twenty five years. Twenty five yeah. years, and because of the nature of the game, because it was stretched into extra innings, because of the back and forth, and because of social media, uh, people who maybe w- who weren't following it in the first half of the game came on board and started going to their bars and flipping on the TV, and so it really became like a national conversation, an international conversation. Uh, once you got to that tenth inning. There's also second screen was great because there are all of these managerial decisions, like really minute ones that people had very strong opinions about. Right. And you got to see that in real time using a second screen as opposed to just hearing the single voice of the announcers. Yeah. Joe Buck should not be interpreting baseball for everyone, especially for first time watchers. And so, yeah, I'm glad there was all that analysis. Uh, And it was a it was a great win. Uh, Bill Murray's reaction. You know, that, what, that, what was it? Oh, did you not see? Like, he's <clears throat> the the biggest Cubs fan. I saw him there. I didn't see his reaction. His they they cut to him when the Cubs win, and he looked like he was like the most happiest person in the world. <laughs> he was stunned. He was hugged. He was jubilant. He was speechless. He wasn't in like a private box. He was no, sitting he was out with the fans. In with the fans, yeah. um, and he was speechless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, as a Buffalo Bills fan, I can't wait for my turn. <laughs> What happened to the Bills yesterday on your birthday? Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Uh, They got robbed. (laughs) 
<laughs> robbed by a terrible call. I can't talk about this. I can't. I can't. I'm just going to get in like a horrible space. Like it's, it's just perfect bills. Only the Buffalo Bills could that happen to. Yeah, it's a big, big week for sports. You have football moving into You have the Raiders doing really well. You have the Warriors and drama and some world record-breaking uh, games in the, in the past. And, and then you also have eSports. Ah, you got esports. Um, this past weekend was BlizzCon, and I was down on Saturday to Anaheim to check out. Base. I'd been to BlizzCon once before, many, many years ago. Before the, uh, I think it was right around there before the merger. This happened. is Blizzard's fan convention. That's, That's right. Been going for five years now, or more than that. I think maybe a little more than that. It sells out so quickly, right? And it's it's astounding because. It's a convention that just celebrates Blizzard games. And you think, okay, how many games does Blizzard actually have? They have a ton. Count them right now. World of Warcraft, Overwatch, Heart of the Storm, StarCraft II, Diablo III. Um, Hearthstone. Hearthstone. Oh, I forgot about Hearthstone. Yeah. Oh, that's a big deal. Six massive, I, think I, I believe I'm even missing one other one. But every one of those games in the convention, we're talking about a massive convention center. This is where like WonderCon and Star Wars Celebration is held and D23. Each of those giant halls is set up for competitive play or lines where people try out new characters and new game demos. And then on higher levels, entire merch areas and immersive environments designed based on the game. It was really just, and it was all, it's all dark. It's not your typical Comic-Con where it's vendors and booth space. Mm. It looks like you're walking into a giant party the whole time. Is it organized, like a, structured. Is it like a bring your own PC kind of No, no, no. They, it's all sponsored. And oh. so they had these uh, these high-end high NVIDIA run PCs with like Intel fast SSDs, all set up like thousands of computers Jeez. set up in the hall. Is and it then, beyond the esports part though? Is it also do you get like the Comic Con nature, like people cosplaying as as characters and you stuff? You do. It was lighter on cosplay than I had I had thought in my mind that it would be. And there is a giant cosplay contest at BlizzCon, which is a, one of the more prestigious ones because people really build up and, and unveil things there. So the, I believe the cosplay contest was Friday night, and so Friday may have been the bigger cosplay day, and you see these like giant like mechanized armored costumes uh, really elaborate 3d printed ones uh, really gorgeous stuff so you get a lot of photos online and you can check on that and frank of course was there because he made uh, murloc costumes with blizzard and they oh, were cool. handing out they were part of the show handing out like their newsboys newsies murlocs and they were giving out newspapers <laughs> yeah, exactly. they had the jeremy worked on it they, oh the I, sound I did I put the little yeah little sound, the sound, sound what do you boxes. mean you worked on it uh, frank needed them to make some sounds and make murloc sounds Oh, and so I awesome. put together a little switch that would um, you know emit Murloc sounds, and and they work perfectly. Uh, they they were loud. Um, so, but the esports aspect was something that I really didn't know what to expect, and I was taken aback by how impressive it was. Um, they had esports. They had competitions for basically all the games. Right, you had Heart of the Hearthstone, Heart of the Storm, Overwatch. For Overwatch, you had this massive arena built out, custom arena with stadium seating and like ESPN style areas, like a competitive space. The teams, the players would come in and 
and they would have broadcast everything with, with like you know ESPN like jibs and camera rigs and <laughs> what announcing what, teams and what, announcing teams what are the jibs for there's people sitting at a mouse and keyboard for the audience because it was all streamed so you had ESPN actually was there they had a booth there for their broadcast well, Direct TV was a partner I believe and broadcast all the competitions uh, Twitch. I believe it was Twitch, but they streamed out everything. And what the coolest thing is they had their control center, their tournament and their broadcast control centers in public view behind like plexiglass in this den. And I took some pictures and I think huh. I'll, I'll share these uh, with some of you guys. Now, um, everyone is on mouse and keyboard, I assume, right? There's, oh, yeah. There's no gamepad no, no, players no. there. Yeah. So <laughs> for, for Jeremy and Kishore, here are... Here are photos of their control center. And it's all exposed? And through it's all the exposed glass? through wow. the plexiglass. And they have like 20 camera multi-mix setups. It looks like Ethernet a professional cables, up the wazoo, TV studio. And controllers just like switching between yeah. all amazing. the camera angles, the game capture. Uh, and that was all in the center of the convention center. Just like that, that was just like exposed. It looked like a high-tech That's command amazing. center. We used to joke on the PC Gamer podcast, you'll remember, about how when esports really was starting to take off as a televised thing yeah. or like a stream thing, it's like, how do you really accomplish that? How do you make that interesting? Because you can't watch players on a field. You're watching people use the computer. Even if you put a camera into that game space, how do you communicate to novices or just fans why what is happening in the game is difficult, interesting, you know, special. Well, esports commentators, it's been a thing for so long. D- did you And you watched this happen. Yeah. Did they pull it off? I mean, Abs- absolutely. So you have uh, StarCraft II was the big thing. They had the StarCraft II World Championships. And in the Anaheim Convention Center, there is an actual arena for that fills 10,000 people, I believe. And it was filled to capacity for the World Championships <coughs> on stage. So when you think of a stage, and this is... You, there's a whole range of esports because we talked about like um, the fighting game championships, which was in Vegas, right? For um, for uh, Street Fighter, when you're talking about on on that end, the production value is low because all you have is literally two guys sitting on folding folding chairs in front of TVs with their custom joysticks, their uh, fighting sticks, and in front of an audience of ten thousand people, and also being broadcast. But that's that's one way to do esports, and people are still. They, they love watching that. On the StarCraft side, on the Blizzard side, the production le- quality was insane. Because you're still talking about two people playing on computers, playing against each other on a, on a system that's game-captured, right? They had built out a projection-mapped set that was, I want to say, uh, maybe 70 feet tall, 70 to 100 feet tall, and maybe... Uh, almost, uh, at least 150 feet wide. And I'm going to show you guys a picture here. Now, I will post this. If you look, if Jeremy, if this you is StarCraft? This is yeah, StarCraft. StarCraft 2. It's StarCraft 2. Yeah. In, in the corner, in, in here, in these bl- bl- black areas, yep. these are the isolated boxes, soundproof boxes that the players sit in. <laughs> they are in these, like, it's it's like, Oh, so it's you like see so them. You see them, like their built, faces built into the game, built into the set, <laughs> and above them are their faces of the camera on them with the names. Oh no way! So that's their face, and then you have two, three giant screens. Oh my god! One for each of their views, what their their actions are, and the center, a spectator view that the designated spectator does, and then blasted into the arena are the two commentators yeah. talking about the strategies in the game. 
Now, this entire framing device, it's not a flat set. It's like it's 3D construction mm -hmm. and it's all projection mapped. Yeah. So you have data and interactive graphics that transform the whole set depending on the map they're playing on. That is, oh, the whole design. Super impressive. It, the whole design looks like it was drawn by a comic book artist and then they, they actually made it real. But my, real, my question is still, can commentators make these games interesting to casuals? Because that it, there is a lot go, more going so on in StarCraft you, than, 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 than football. So I'll say, you've watched esports? Yeah. And what do you think? If, if it's a game that I play, if it's I, game, I'm yes. into it. Right. Yeah, 100%. If, it's, if it's not, I can't follow it. And that's exactly how it was. I think at this level of play, uh, in the real-time analysis, you cannot decipher what's going on. I was trying to explain to the people I was with uh, who were working the show, who weren't players of StarCraft II, what was going on, like what the numbers were and what the strategy was. And you would hear, I mean, the excitement. You can follow the cadence of the match, you know, as, it, as the players got closer to the end game the commentators would talk faster get more excited the fans had their giant like air sticks they were clapping together <laughs> and so you know when there'd be big swings yeah. back and forth and you can see some of the action on screen like explosions and graphical effects but you wouldn't know about the minutiae about like because there's so much about it is in the lingo the terminology um and so i, I think for esports really to break in the mainstream you need to complement the actual match coverage with onboarding tutorial coverage, mm. you know, which they've tried to do with like Counter-Strike and where before a match, you'll have like their half, you know, if they live stream it or if they broadcast it, they'll have your half hour overview of the map and of the of what to expect and the things to look out for, which that you do, you have that in, in a lot of sports, like, you know, in physical sports, um, where you talk, the, the pregame, it's, it's, it's the pregame coverage. Mm -hmm. um, but unlike... You know, unlike watching basketball, for example, where you can flip it on and you know immediately, okay, that guy shot the ball from pretty far and landed the basket. That's a feat, a physical feat, right? You're not, you, you can't get that same but uh, sense from watching fast APM, you know, fast mouse movements right. on that giant screen. Like you can't tell, like, well, that's like that person's precision control and fast reaction time was great. Like you, you don't get that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Rocket League may have come close to being that game though. A game that anybody can watch and properly illustrated and commentated, you might be able to get casuals on board with that kind of thing because it, it is that does feel more like a real sport in that each player is on a field and in charge of a physics you know based car at least. <laughs> I don't. Know, I was pretty skeptical until I saw a talk on that 2004 Street Fighter fight, the Justin versus uh, Dago. Yeah. Uh, famous yeah, the, the, the famous blocking, yeah. the parry, 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 parry. Yeah. Uh, until like I heard a commentator break it down in a talk about the actual like reaction time that was going into place, uh, and then I could appreciate what cool. was happening. So uh, I think we should put a video of that up. That's like one of my favorite. It's, things. it's an amazing thing, uh, and I think maybe that's what we need more of in these sports is the post game breakdown analysis hmm. of someone taking a match, and you have that in. In, a, in StarCraft II, people have been doing that for a long time. You look on YouTube, and a lot of these, these successful YouTube broadcasters take save games, and they commentate them, and they can pause, and you say, look at this, this thing's about to happen, and it teaches players who maybe, who have the game, some strategy, but also um, educates you about you know, what's going on and, and what that actual skill is. Right. Yeah, what's going on in the thought process. Yeah. Commentary is what we need, real commentary. Exactly. Um, 
So BlizzCon, a lot of fun. I was just impressed, even though I was there for there, impressed by the sheer scope of it in terms of competitive play. Um, they also have their giant sculptures throughout the convention. So Blizzard commissions artists to build um, these um, mannequins and maquettes of life-size of their characters. Um, and to see those up close, those, they're gorgeous. Uh, a lot of characters from games that I don't play, like from Hearthstone and from um, from Diablo, I don't play. But even like you know some older ones from StarCraft, I really liked. Uh, Overwatch had their um, what's that character? Um, There's 21 of I them. I know, I know. The one that wears the bomber jacket and, <laughs> and dashes around. It's the female character. Uh, she's orange. Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember now, but I know who you mean. Uh, yeah, she, she's like a main character. Yeah. She has a British accent. Right, right. Um, they had that action, the, the giant, like, 30-foot-tall action figure Yeah. Uh, of her that they made to promote the game. They had that at BlizzCon, and it was really cool to see. Oh, like the, the inbox thing? Yeah, so th- to promote the game back in uh, May, Those are cool. they commissioned three... Tracer. Uh, Tracer, right. They commissioned three giant action figure displays with these larger th- than life action figure boxes of these characters put in, like put in these boxes, one in France, one in the U.S., uh, and one in another country. And uh, they had the U.S. one, which was Tracer, on display. And that was really, really cool to see up close. That looks like it had good lighting. I mean, in the photos that I saw of the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole the whole event was, like, just from a rigging standpoint and, a, a you know, a, a setup, like, it's like... They start working on it probably the day after. They start working on next year probably the day after. Uh, before. It's, oh, it takes over a year to plan a BlizzCon. That's I hear. great. Yeah, so it's 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 for the fans, right? And so, it it, it gaming up close, right? Um, other big pop culture things. Uh, Doctor Strange came out. You guys see it? I have not. I have not. Oh, I'm the only one that's seen it. I know. I went um, partially because I know there's going to be components that lead to my big uh, Infinity War Thanos sort of mythos that I was. Hunting for no spoilers. It was pretty good, but it it missed a couple things. It it ended up being a little bit too silly at points, which is kind of an odd thing to say uh, about Doctor Strange because it's all mysticism and magic and all of that stuff. Uh, Norm, you were mentioning to me before the podcast. This is you've heard. This is the one I see in three D. I did not see it in three D. I saw it in two D, uh, and. Overall, it's still a good movie, but it didn't blow me away like Guardians did or some of the other earlier Marvel movies. It felt like it coasted along. Yeah, I think they play it safe a lot. You know, it's an origin story. Um, from the non-spoiler reviews I had read, uh, there were echoes of two thousand, uh, the two thousand two four Iron Man, their first Iron Man. In this, not just the facial hair, but like the the trajectory of the character, and even though it is a B character, you know when Iron Man first Iron Man came out, many many people considered him a B character too. I agree. Yeah. So uh, I'm still gonna watch it. I. It it's, is. It's good. It's just not great, even though it has a massive rating. Ninety percent Rotten Tomato. Ninety percent. What's but what's the actual average rating? Seven point three out of ten. Okay, that that's pretty good. Um, it is maybe one of the. F- few movies that because of the reviews I'm going to actually seek it out in 3D as opposed to seeking it out in 2D and avoiding 3D. Its visuals are very trippy and psychedelic at points and um you know pretty spectacular. So well, I do wonder about going to re-see it in 3D. Recreational marijuana is now legal in California. 
So not till next year. Oh, even though it passed yesterday, <laughs> it doesn't immediately take effect, my man. We might need to take some medication to fully comprehend the other big pop culture event going on, and that, of course, is Westworld. Uh, we're talking about this again. <laughs> What's this? I forget, Norm. What is this? A TV show? <laughs> we're not going to do a full spoiler cast in Westworld because you, we did that this week on the Still Untitled. Uh, but an update: everyone in this room has seen at least five episodes of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched episode six this morning because I couldn't <clears throat> bring myself to turn on the anything else on the TV. Which I, I said it was like throwing lighter fluid on the fire. I can't believe he would. Every time I watch Westworld, I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can handle one more. This is a, this kind of a downer of a show. I really like the the pilot actually, the first one because it was quite pessimistic. It was kind of a, a creepy show, but it had that great ending where it's like you like you you see the android swat a fly, which they're not supposed to be able to do, and you just get a sense that they're going to start to fight back. Yeah, and I like that underdog kind of rising feeling, but there's not like there's it's just so it's like ten, it's still ten percent that like it's almost all downer. Well, the season's only half over for yeah. you because <laughs> you only watch the five five episodes. I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty show, pretty grim the whole time. They, they the do more than swat a fly. Yeah, the show makes me <laughs> super paranoid because it, it very reminiscent of when I watched Lost season one, mm-hmm. where I'm like, do I trust this person? Do I not? Right. Are they? Uh, what are their ulterior motives? Like what? <laughs> What is the sense of time here? Like, I have nothing to stand on. I mean, you don't you don't show. have a Henry Gale moment yet with like Ben, you know, be, being revealed to be a villain. No, uh, but that's not season one Lost. That's later in Lost. What season? Season? No, one. I think it was season two. See, I didn't watch what? Lost, and one of the reasons I didn't is because I understood that it was this this style of TV making, TV show making that I that I have grown to hate, which is just constant. Every episode ends with its cliffhanger. Serialized storytelling. Yes, yeah, serialized very much so. It's like they just they all they want is for you to come back next week, and they don't trust you to come back next week on in its own merit. So you so want X-Files. So they have to. Yeah, I don't. Well, yeah, I exactly. I want you want X-Files. standalone I stories think of, that have a a thread. In the background. Yes. But have conclusions in the end of every episode. Knight Rider, A-Team. These are the shows I grew up with. You know, you could jump in any t- any part in the season and enjoy it. You don't have to have all, you don't have to catch every single week in, in order to actually be there. With I'm it, sorry, right? all our soapboxes are reserved for Berkeley today. So, oh. <laughs> what? I, the hard part I have is they'll have these deeply philosophical moments. Talking about the nature of consciousness or... Yeah. Uh, what is life? And then somebody gets shot in the head, like right away afterwards. It makes it's really off. It, it puts me off kilter. So, do, does a robot get shot in the head that is r- fully repaired that evening, though? <laughs> does that matter? <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing that we did not talk about in Still Entitled with regard to Westworld is the its deep connection to video gaming, and, and we alluded to it a little bit. But you know, present company, huge video game players. Yes. Uh, what do you guys think about? how they have adapted video game culture and video game design for their fictional world and for storytelling purposes. So there is one particular scene where two characters were having a conversation at the bar and one just gets casually shot by a guest. That very much was the callback to GTA V, like the players wandering around the world just being black hats all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel that ver- that open world wander through behave at your worst um have crisis of confidence sometimes how do you guys play the those open world games when you play like a red dead redemption or gta and i mean those are both rockstar games in any good open world game where npcs have their loops 
and do dialogue and even you know, games like Fallout especially yep. right mm-hmm. and, and Bethesda games where that world building is part of the gameplay experience and be immersing yourself in those storylines and stories that may not be actual may not be consequential to the the point of the game but immerse you in that world like do you interrupt them like what how do you play i'm the i'm the good guy and i realize that's boring but i know there's a lot of us out there white hats <laughs> and we play and i play these games and i'm always the hero you know i always try to, to play it on the good side Jedi, you know, knight back to that game. Like you, you could or dark forces. You could choose a side eventually yeah. in the game. I'm not sure even I even tried the dark side ever. It's just that's just my style of play, and I'm sure that I would do that in Westworld. But I understand that a lot of people enjoy the other side of it, and they just like to get in the game and just shoot everybody and just see if they can break the game or just create as much mayhem as possible. So when I see that happen in Westworld, and there's somebody who goes into the bar and there's a conversation happening, and he, he just shoots a couple of these androids, and he says, "Now that's a vacation." You know, you feel frustrated. Uh, like that's not how I would play the game. No, I don't feel frustrated. Actually, what I feel is like that's exactly what would happen if Westworld existed. Yeah, mm. and it it allows humanity to explore a side of themselves even more realistically than they can in current technology. That I that I fear, that I actually that actually does cause me to pause and think, wow, this is the kind of thing that is that could potentially be dangerous. Would it stop you from shooting an NPC in Red Dead Redemption 2? <laughs> I don't know about that. Probably not. But I do I, mean, I do imagine after watching this show that a lot of game developers go back to their code with new perspective. Game developers in, in play sense, I remember playing um, like Brothers in Arms. Uh, it's not RPG, it's a shooter, right? And I remember going for playtests one time, and it was a World War II game, and you went in, and there was like a farm, and they had like a sheep or something, or a pig. Anytime you see like an animal, and... I, I shot the sheep, and the game game developer told me, 10 out of 10 people, shoot the sheep. <laughs> and it's it's true. Like, when you see, because there's so much of playing a game where you want to ex- push the limits of their representation of reality. Like, did they build the physics right? Did they get the AI right? Did they actually, and one of the ways you can push those limits is the ultimate limit, by shooting something. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of, what they're trying to say in Westworld. Yeah. M- messing with the system is fun too. Like I always start as a little bit of a black hat in those games, but it's boring after a while because you can't do, you, you don't ever progress. So what I actually want to see in Westworld, I want to see the transition of like the, the guest to be for, to starting with like the worst and transition now, to the best or something like that. Now really there's a difference between black hat and troll. Like when you're talking oh, about someone sure. interrupting an NPC conversation, shooting someone, and interrupting the game just to break the game for the to, for for fun's sake, that's trolling, mm-hmm. and that absolutely happens whether you play white hat or black hat. When we're talking about a game like Mass Effect, where you choose Paragon or Black Hat in the beginning, you can still have a fully satisfying narrative yep. by playing the dark side, you know, but because the game can be designed that way, and it seems like in Westworld, they do satisfy those those urges and let the people who play black hats have they're fun and get a full narrative out of it. Yes. It's just really off, you know, off-putting for us who want, don't want to see, you know, some guy join a gang and, and rape the farmer's daughter. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to talk to some game developers about how their perspective has shifted since watching this show. Do you think it's increased their ambition? Uh yes, but also, I mean, probably in some weird way, their sensitivity to their own AIs that they're developing. Yeah. Do you think there's a game that'll come out where you are the the AI? Like uh, Westworld is largely told from the perspective of 
of those androids. So mm-hmm. can you imagine a game where you're on the other side of this, where you're watching? That would be very difficult to develop because no question you'd have to have the other side, the theoretically human characters, be convincingly human, even though they are technically also just NPCs, AI. Unless it would be a multiplayer game where, I mean, yeah, it's it's. I think that would be tough to do, uh, but it, it's intriguing. It's also the show's also made me think about our own existence and what the androids didn't know that weren't becoming self-aware until very at the very beginning of the show yeah so prior to this show presumably they were completely ignorant of it and who's to say that in a science fiction universe we aren't in the same position and that we are just androids or you know matrix style captives of oh, some, someone on. else's we're not the top of the holographic world. universe and just saying i'm not with you i'm i'm just i'm not saying it that's true i'm just saying it does make me think about it um jonathan jonathan nolan one of the showrunners of the show uh, and writers lead creators uh, did post to say like this is a show not it's not about whether ai can pass the turing test it's about what if an ai can pass the turing test but lies about it what lies in what way? And and doesn't let you know. What happened when an AI passes oh, the Turing they, test? Oh, when they purposely fail. And purposely fail oh, like the it. Turing test. Yes. That's what, and that encapsulates <laughs> what this show is about. I think the acting and the writing is so good. Uh, there, I, I think we're both, all three of us are at parts of the show where you get, you've seen enough of the AI interactions and how they break down, okay, how the AI drives their dialogue, what they can in, improvise. But like when you break down why, you know, I love the scenes where the, the human characters ask the AI, why did you say that? Analysis. Analysis. Yeah. Right? Why did you say that thing? And, and then... When they say analysis, the android is supposed to switch modes, essentially. Right. And then they said, oh, because uh, you had not asked a personal question in a while, and a personal question increases empathy. Yeah, right. Like, that's how people think also. So it's that whole... Right. You know, it's it's the whole um, and, know, uh, strong AI, weak AI uh, argument of, like, what is it that makes intelligence and consciousness? Is, is it if you get enough complexity in um, feedback response, you know, the, the whole uh, John Searle Chinese box experiment, like is that consciousness or is there something beyond that, like s- some intuition or some, some or- something that it's, that's beyond just trading responses for answers, answers for responses? I will say they've done an exceptional job doing world building. If this doesn't pay off, this is going to be one of the, this is going to be very reminiscent. That's what I'm of saying, loss. man. It's just mystery after mystery. Yeah. No, n- no conclusion to anything. It's just. And it, I'm telling you, people, if you're making a TV show, you don't have to do that. I will yeah. watch it next week. Give me some satisfaction. Yeah, we. I don't think we've. Got, I think we've just layered mysteries on top of each other, and I don't know if they can. We have four episodes left. I'm not sure they're going to be able to wrap up some of the major threads. Do you, Norm? I I believe yes, they will. I have faith in. The writers, especially <laughs> since they took the hiatus from production of the show to come to a conclusion before they resume production. And I'm impressed that we were able to talk about the show at length without going into some of the, the deeper fan theories, uh, some of which we did talk about and still entitled. Because, Jeremy, I know you haven't read the fan theories, so no, no. I would love to also revisit four weeks later, a month later, um, maybe before, right before Christmas, and we'll talk about the finale and... and how uh, satisfying it was or not. And exactly. When did they take a break, a hiatus? Uh, after production of episode six. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. That's interesting. And they did film them in um, sequence. Uh, I mean, as with most shows, 
they couldn't film everything in sequence, but they did rewrite, go in the rewrites, and they also reshot things in the first six episodes. Oh, that's interesting. To um, to to have it all tied together more neatly. I <laughs> think what they've said is that they didn't want to have a show that, that like loss where they didn't it felt like it at least it felt like to the viewer they didn't know where they were going by okay. the end that must have been a weird shoot for for some of the actors though be like dolores wake up like this i dolores think, wake up like this i think that, that <laughs> dolores wake up like this it must be a lot of fun though because the actors get to wear a lot of faces they do um all right, uh, one last bit of uh, pop culture news. Jeremy, you put this on. What's up with uh... <laughs> What's up with Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live? Yeah, Dave Chappelle's hosting SNL this week, which I thought was really cool. He hasn't done that in, has he ever done that? Anyway, he hasn't done that since, he, he, had, just since gonna, he had his own show. Is he just going to do a stand-up comedy set till like 4 a.m.? Yeah, right. Maybe he'll be late to the show. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds good to me. Plus, A Tribe Called Quest has a new album coming out this Friday. Didn't a member of Tribe yeah, pass away? Fifey, Fife Dog. Yeah, he but uh, they record. He passed away during the production of this album. Wow! Uh, so he's on it. Oh, so this might be kind of like an emotional. Yeah, very appearance much so. Yep, and so they're on the show. So they're on Saturday Night Live this week too. I'm super psyched about it. All right, let's get to technology news. Really a hodgepodge of tech news this week. Yeah, there's not a lot going on. I want to start with a warning that uh, today is a day there will be endless takes about polling. There's also a lot of endless takes about what the Trump presidency means for tech. And I've unfortunately read a lot this morning, and none of them say very much. And I think there's not many conclusions people can reach with them. So I would say ignore those for now because we really have no idea. Uh, what that's going to mean. I mean, on some key issues too, like cybersecurity, net neutrality, we don't really know what his positions on those are. Okay. Let's dive in. What happened to the Karma drone oh. 16 days after launch? Wait, remind me, what's the Karma drone? Uh, so Google, GoPro had announced their first oh, quadcopter, yeah. uh, long-anticipated, huge deal, along with the Hero 5. Now, the Hero 5 is a camera that we uh, we, we just got and we've been testing, and so far we've been liking it very much. Uh, waterproof. Waterproof housing, LCD built in the back, you know, better lens system. Um, they kept the same price. They, it, they needed this to be a huge success because people have been waiting for so long. And at some point, you know, 4K TVs, you know, the jump from Hero to 2 to 3 was, was big, uh, but three to four, not so much. They had problems with memory card issues. Uh, five seems to be the right thing. I mean, I think Joey has said if he's going to look for a GoPro, like if he was going to buy one for himself, this would be the one to buy for himself. But the Karma was the big deal because to pair with the Hero 5, you have the stabilizing gimbal that you can use like the DJI Osmo, but also with a quadcopter that would that would run and work perfectly with their GoPros. Unfortunately, less than a month after they announce and release the Karma, they have recalled every single unit. And a couple bits of news uh, that come out of this, revelations. One, a battery seems to be failing on some of these units, which is why they recalled it. They're literally falling out of the sky in very, very few cases. But GoPros can be safe and say, you got to re return it. They'll give you a full refund. Um, hmm. 
they're recommending anyone who has a karma right now to return that. So it's really unfortunate for people who've been waiting a long time. And According to ours, Technica, they've sold 2,500 uh, 2, of and them. And that's the other big news is the revelation is that they've sold I, what I feel like seems like a small number of these, 2,500. I know it's a small market for drones, and these are $800 to $1,000 drones, but it could mean that there's just not enough demand for because GoPro is a big brand, not enough, either not enough demand for drones or too much uncertainty with the drone landscape right now with regulation, or that the market's already been saturated right. with low-cost drones and uh, the successful DJI Phantoms. So either way, it's not good news for GoPro because uh, they put so much money and time in hyping up and, and developing the Karma. I really hope that it doesn't go the way of 3D Robotics, which is now not making drones at all. Uh, and that they solve the battery problem and get this out. This, this is a great move. I mean, according to GoPro, they say that no property damage or personal injury has occurred. So, I mean, it, we're still in, they're still in good shape, and they're taking a massive hit on this recall. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, good for them for making, making it right. I mean, stuff like this that, you know, when we talk about drones being the future and being ubiquitous and, and autonomous vehicles doing delivery and just being, like, the new skyscape being littered with drones that are, are taking, you know, they'll being the new normal like this this recall really shows that we're not nearly there yet like even on the consumer side um on the other drone news uh it looks like project wing which is google's uh, vtol um project uh is may be getting nicks or at least they have they're getting their scope constrained um they just canceled a deal a partnership with starbucks now if you think Starbucks and drones doesn't make a lot of sense, but it does make sense when you think that the reason that Google went Alphabet went into developing Wing was for farmers, was a way for farmers to to survey uh, their their crops. And Starbucks has a lot of a lot of fields where they harvest coffee beans, and so um, it's unfortunate. Um, it's a continuation of what we've seen this year from Google. A lot yeah. of experimental projects coming to an end yes. or being derailed. Great. It's unfortunate because you know. there was a lot of progress with Project Wing and both in the design of the vehicle, something that could take off like a drone but yeah. get a lot of mileage by flying like a glider, uh, but also in the legal side because it just gotten some approvals on the regulatory side to, to continue its testing and beginning building these commercial partnerships. Now we've seen that up close and personal at like Maker Fair and other things. I you it's hard not to be skeptical of the design. I've I've seen the flights uh and I've seen the, the maneuvers. It's hard not to be skeptical of how that would work inside urban areas. Um but it's pretty impressive. So I am if, still a little sad. If it's valuable video. technology, it'll live on, it'll spin off, it'll become something. I think it's great. Google can afford to go nuts with their experiments and if they don't work out to their needs then they can cancel them. Well, it's the reason the question is why it didn't work out. Is it didn't work didn't work out because of a policy mm -hmm. issue or a technology issue. Hopefully it's not a technology issue because we want to feel like there's progress move, move there. And it's unfortunate that if it ends up being canceled, all the information learned will have to be redone again because Google's not just going to share all the lessons learned all the designs for this. Um, and it's really a lot of the innovation comes from the private sector, from companies like Google who have a lot of money to spend to develop these. And they also develop then relationships with companies like Starbucks and Chipotle for deliveries. Uh, so it, I hope it doesn't go nowhere is the point. 
because I would like to see uh, some more testing of this to see if it actually has you know can be can be viable. Uh, but that's that's where that lays. Um, other hiccups in terms of batteries. Uh, we talked about boosted board last week because it was part of our live show. Yeah. Another recall. Hey, well, it's not a recall. At least not that I've heard. Uh, the, but the, the Boosted has started shipping their version 2 board this year. And it's uh, they, everyone who bought a V2 board, they got an email saying, please stop writing your board. Because two of the boards have had their batteries, um, uh, what do they call it, X, X gas. They, they, they have not exploded, but they have caused holes to you know form in the enclosure. And uh, it could potentially cause a fire, but that hasn't happened yet. So the CEO actually flew out to the, the second guy to report this. He flew out to New York and uh, took a look at himself and flew back. But they have basically told everyone with the V2 board, stop writing it until you until we get to the bottom of this. Um, I don't know how many V2 boards they've sold, but I would guess not nearly as many as the V1s have been out for a couple of years now um, since they just started shipping them. But there you go. Do we need to start having a larger conversation about lithium batteries right now? What is going on? Like yeah. this is pretty significant across a range of products now. Yeah, and I think we take for granted that you assume that batteries only get better and denser, but you know, a lot of the ways they get denser may not be ways that are safe. Or it may increase a little bit of risk, uh, and that's risk that consumers, uh, companies are maybe more willing to to take right now, given the assumption that that's, things will work themselves out over time, but there's no magic bullet. I mean, we don't have a ma magic battery tech yet. I'm really wondering if it's the supercharging capability, these like fast chargers that have really pushed the limits of these companies to get batteries out in a way that has caused some of these problems. Uh, because that push towards like, I can charge 70% of my phone in 20 minutes or whatever it is. Um, I haven't seen actually like this huge pent up consumer demand for it. It's like a nice feature to differentiate. And and that's the thing. Like you you, you have two sides of the battery problem. You have capacity and density, which go together, and then also the time it takes to actually move those electrons. And you know, even when you get super dense, super uh, high capacity batteries, people don't want to wait, uh, especially when we're talking about batteries in cars. Uh, Tesla seems like there's been no problem so far with yeah. their supercharger network and supercharger system. Uh, but those cars are st also still relatively new, and those batteries are still relatively new. Um, well, not newer than the Note 7. Not newer than Note 7, yeah. yeah. But they're also not as dense. Don't, the don't charging system is also completely different. Yeah. Is yeah. There, has there been any update about that snake Tesla snake charger? You know, they showed that demo <laughs> yeah. with the robot snake that... It comes up and then like finds the charging port and plugs in. No, they show that one video and it was there was a cr scary, crazy future and and now it seems much cheaper. And and also that battery swapping system they had tried. They, yeah, that but it seemed like way too complex. They're just building, you know, it's easier to build their network of supercharger stations, which starting next year will no longer be a complementary service for people buying cars after 2017. Well, it was Beginning only. It was wasn't it only a complimentary service at a certain tier? I mean, weren't you buying into that? Yes, yes. Okay. I, I think it was like two uh, twenty five hundred dollars as an option for the Model S. Okay. Um, and and so and and we knew that the Model Three wouldn't have free access for anyone who had pre ordered the Model Three. That would maybe that would be a tier you have to pay into. Right. Yeah. As a potential consumer or buyer of a Model 3, yeah. it, it would, would it be a, a compelling option for you to spend an extra $2,500 for free supercharger access? Um, 
I I don't know because I would probably say not because I don't tend to, I don't tend to travel that far. Um, I will I would be charging at home almost exclusively uh, to drive to travel across the country in an electric car would be like a real commitment plan ahead kind of thing even with the supercharger network um, and I and I just don't do that I with any frequency at all so no I probably wouldn't buy it yeah, what I, about what about you Norm you go down to LA like a couple times a month I still think at twenty five hundred dollars not worth it because if we're talking about current prices. Um, and we're talking about where the superchargers are located. That's where electricity maybe isn't as expensive as in urban areas. Uh, it's about $20 to do a full charge. So it's not like you're, unless it was un- restricted access. So if people who paid the $2,500 got the first priority, then maybe it'd be more, you'd be more incentivized. But if anyone can with a Tesla can roll up to a supercharger and pay 20 bucks to fill up, that's still cheaper than how much you have to pay for, for gas. And you're only doing that a couple times, you know, at most a couple times a month. Uh, transition music? No, really? Well, my wife's uh, iPhone, actually, the battery in her 5S died yesterday and got it replaced. And we were going to look for a new iPhone. And I actually went onto Apple's site to look for, she didn't want to, like, shell out for the 7. Um and we found that they actually have refurbs for sale this on iPhones for the first time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they have six S's, I think, up there. Six okay. S and six S pluses. I've had good luck with Apple refurbs. Did you get one? No, we ended up just getting the battery replaced for like 40 bucks. Oh, that's a good deal. It was only $40? Yeah. It was $45 with Some, tax. Someplace local? Yeah, just a place like right by my kids' Oh, school. not at Apple. Not at Apple. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, okay. They don't do anything for less than 100 I know, yeah. I know. It's like, a, I think, 100 $30 or something. I don't, I don't know. But uh, uh, Apple is beginning to sell refurb models, and these are the models, uh, the phones that they sometimes swap when you have a damaged phone and you get in uh, when you come with Apple Care. Uh, for phones that they no longer sell new. So we're talking about the 6S and the 6S Plus in 16 gigabytes and 64 gigabytes, which right now that's the capacity options are 32, 128, and 256. Well, they're getting a lot more phones now they have their plan too, right? Because they have their new trade-up plan where people are bringing in their phone every year right, and right. trading it. Right. So they have these phones that work just fine. Yeah. So the pricing is about 600 bucks, $590 for the high-end 64 gig 6S Plus, which a year ago would have been like a $800 phone. Yeah. So it's not you know. a huge amount off. No, it's not. Uh, I initially was like, was really excited about this, but then I remember our conversation last week about how many SKUs Apple has. And if this just adds to that dimension of just confusion, I don't think so. You got to really dig deep to look for those refurbs. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess you got to know great. what you're looking for. Uh, other Apple news, though, they did drop the price of their dongles. That's right. Uh, since they, you know, have announced a week ago now the uh, MacBook Pro, which only has USB-C jacks, um, they ha- they sell a ton of dongles to give you standard USB ports, among other things. And um, after a couple days, they uh, ended up dropping the price on a lot of those adapters. The USB three adapters dropped in price by half um, to ten dollars. Uh, and they say that this is only limited time. So if you need your dongles from MacBook, I mean from Apple, you got till the end of December, I think. And this is their argument against the claim that they they only put USB-C on the new MacBook Pros as a money grab for dongles. 
I guess so. I mean, the dongles are expensive regardless, and it's it's more of an inconvenience. They they were happy to charge, and they're happy to inconvenience you with the need to carry dongles just for their the sake of design. Ten years from now, I'm going to really enjoy all of the dongle art that will be at different galleries and exhibitions. <laughs> you know, it doesn't kill me. The whole dongle problem, because I got a ton of the USB 3 to USB-C adapters from Amazon, and they're like a couple bucks each if you buy, you know, in packs of two or four. And so there's not really a price concern. And they're small. They snap right onto your USB 3, um, you know, plugs. So they're almost like permanent. It's just it's just weird. And the fact that you can't plug an iPhone out of the box into your MacBook is odd. Strange. Uh, Adobe? Yeah. Play, play the, play the transition music. But you music. don't have a transition in here. Oh, okay. What okay. do you want? <laughs> All right. Uh, Adobe Max was, I believe, last week. Didn't uh, attend. This is Adobe's big fan convention, and they use it to announce some experimental features, the newest versions of, you know, their Creative uh, Cloud suite. You know, uh, Premiere, Photoshop, Illustrator, all that stuff gets updated, um, and everyone has to update and incompatible and lose all the shortcuts, whatever. But the, the coolest part, things you want to always want to follow at Max are the, the experimental features that they sometimes tease and unveil. And the new one, the new technology they showed off this year was called Voco. That and stands for something, I bet. Uh, it stands for voice conversion. And what it is is people are calling it uh, Photoshop for audio. Um, but they have an audio editor. They have Audition, you know, which you hmm. it's a sound editor, right? Uh, this takes audio clips and turns it in, in, in audio clips with t- a speech and turns into text okay. and, and lets you replace text replace no. words stop it and then and it remove words and add words and then it edits the audio file and edits the audio file now it does it by like uh, all these you know voice to text um uh, technologies ingesting a lot of sample text so you have to give them like 20 minutes of phonemes um for the speaker for yeah, so so, yeah, so if it's your voice, you give it 20 minutes of oh, phonemes. So I can't record anyone's voice and do this to it. No, it's not Mission Impossible where you have that like that right. that, that one phrase, the poem that you have Philip Seymour Hoffman say, and then you get to replace his voice. But we're going to get there eventually, right? So it'll create a model of you based on uh, you, how you say words and how you stop, you know, your cadence of speech, your your little quirks. Um, but then you can find a word in that clip. And you can reconstruct sentences yeah. based on those words. Can I write a whole new sentence? You can write a whole new sentence. This is awesome. Copying and pasting words. Uh, from any from anyone's voice that you train the computer. That's really cool. But it's not perfect. Because so, speech synthesis has gotten quite good, yep. but you're limited to those voices that the speech synthesis program comes with. Yeah. You're saying now I can train a new um, voice. Yeah. So it's more like content aware voice for filling for voice it's not perfect you know how content you know photoshop you have that content yeah. aware fill yeah where you where can you erase like things crop out a circle and then they'll look at areas surrounding it and fill it in and yeah. sometimes it works great sometimes it doesn't this i feel like this is gonna be the same it's gonna depend on the right. context of the word it's the, the how fast someone's talking um, and it may not sound perfect initially but it's a cool technology that they're working on i'm pretty impressed by that yeah and what's the name of the app uh, Voco. There's a YouTube video. If you search Adobe Max 2016, Voco, huh. uh, V-O-C-O, 
uh, wait, wait. Be... is this an app or is this just some sort of prototype technology? It's a prototype technology ah, currently okay. Okay. that they're hopefully, I, I think it will probably be built into Audition or, or deployed as yeah. a separate app in the Adobe suite. Hmm. But yeah, I, it, it's super cool. You should watch the video. Um, new technology is also being implemented. YouTube also this week uh, announced that, it's, that it supports HDR video and there's a playlist of HDR video uh samples uh wait a minute now i did so what codec are they using do you have any idea uh i believe the codec is the the google one um yeah huh i didn't realize that that that's interesting and so will you get the same will you get an hdr stream if you don't support it or is that only specifically for hdr displays it's for I, I believe you can still watch it on your laptop. So if you search YouTube HDR, um, there's a launch playlist, and there are like four videos right now. You can watch them, and is there an option? It's it's in like the 4K, you know, when you change your resolution. Yeah. You can do um, your quality settings. You can do... You can choose HDR. 4K uh, HDR. And anybody can choose that option. How does it look if you don't have a 4K display or a HDR display? Does it look any different at all? I don't think it looks any different at all. Wider, they say wider okay. uh, color gamut. Yeah, but it is a different stream then. I mean, but it is an option you turn on. That's interesting. Uh, if you want to watch it on your TV, you probably have to have the new Chromecast, I'm guessing. The one that has whatever the Ultra or whatever it was called. Is that right? Yeah, you need, uh, you need the Chromecast Ultra. Um, hmm. Actually, yeah. So you actually cannot watch it on your... This you can't access the stream on your YouTube or on your uh, Chrome browser. You can only pipe it to Chromecast Ultra. Oh, yeah. Okay. All you get is the 4K stream option. Wow. Not the 4K HDR. So people with 4K HDR computer monitors are out of luck. For now. For now. Hmm. Yeah. I really hope I'll just put in a vote that I hope we take a look at HDR TVs in more depth on tested um, this Christmas season. It's a tricky thing to shoot because you yeah. can't communicate that on traditional video. But it seems like that's the next thing, and I've seen there's like hints that it's going to be incredible. There's mm -hmm. no content for it for the most part. Yeah. Um, so it would be worth taking a look at that category. I, I'm more interested in that than 4K, to be honest with you. I, I, I agree. But those things go hand in hand. They don't necessarily. They don't have to, but they I just mean, happen to have come because of the high end market. They're both yeah. high end features, yeah. and, and people and TV manufacturers want to sell you those features will bundle we'll right. put HDR alongside 4K. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then one last piece of news. So, you remember Google DeepMind? They uh, the Go player. That's right. Champion Go Go player. Lee Sedong Lee Sedo. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Google DeepMind the AI uh, research um, division, they uh, they beat the Go champion earlier this year. Well, they have turned their sights to a new game. And it's not chess. It is StarCraft Two, and if either of you have ever played StarCraft Two, uh, you know that it is a lot more complicated than Go. And I'm not saying it's more strategic or anything like that. There's just a lot more moving parts, a lot to manage. There is a lot to manage StarCraft Two. I played a lot of SE Two in my day. I am. Th this is insane for DeepMind to take this on. It's yeah. It feels. It feels like quite a, a leap in complexity. I mean, because there's also some element of trash talking that has to happen in SE2. Well, you play it right, too. Uh, <laughs> if DeepMind doesn't put a GG out by the end yeah, before exactly. rage quitting, then not realistic. Don't underestimate those Go players. 
that they're pretty they're, they trash talk. I, I would much. want Google engineers to not even program GG in because <laughs> there's they, they expect DeepMind to win every single game. No, it just has to oh, learn it. I thought you were going to say it would evolve naturally to say yeah. GG. Oh, no, no, it's just like no, don't no, it's going to win. But it's interesting though um, because like. It, I, you could sort of imagine how a computer could see a Go board and learn to play just by watching, right? Yeah. But there's a lot more complexity and layers to understanding what the StarCraft II interface looks like. But the art assets are a known quantity. Like they know what you're going to teach a computer system with um, with neural networks what objects look like. Yeah. You know, textures are textures, units are units, animations are animations. You can just import that. Well, here's the deal. Like it's a it would be great. Yes, theoretically, absolutely. Practically, that's a, that's a very hard, difficult thing, difficult puzzle to solve. So what they've done is they partnered with Blizzard. Blizzard is completely on board with this idea, and they are opening up StarCraft to AI developers. And they're giving them internal access, an SDK essentially, into the game so that they can see the fog of war, you know, isolated from the rest of the assets and they can right. see they can see um, various units in a very clear way that there's no confusion about what they are and they, they can also control the game internally and so in a sense during this learning process DeepMind will be cheating because it's going to have access to more information than humans do yep. and it can control the units faster than a human could right they are artificially limiting that control to what they consider to be oh. a hum a fast normal human rate so as opposed to having DeepMind move a physical mouse, they do tap into yes. the cursor directly, right. but based on the limits of the top StarCraft players exactly. in the world. That said, their end goal is to have DeepMind use a mouse and keyboard and interface with the game purely visually. Purely visually. Just with looking an at optical the system. That's right. On any on a, a variable monitor and right. glare. And, that is the end goal. I don't know if they'll reach that before this competition. I mean, doesn't that seem artificial, though, as a goal? Like, Why? if we're teaching an AI how to play, this, if you're talking about the strategy of a game, it's being not artificial if it's competitive. If it's competitive with a human, they have to be on equal ground. I right. What I think is interesting about StarCraft II is there are all these limits that the different units have that the really professional players expose in really interesting ways. Like, they're, they don't allow them to use their natural tendencies or they'll use like different building mechanisms to sort of block up certain characters and that's a level of intelligence that wasn't designed into the game that the professional players it was emergent sort of emerged yeah. absolutely and that's where that's why starcraft 2 is you know the pinnacle of 1v1 competitive gaming isn't you know i don't think when the blizzard artists designed the the this maybe the shapes like you know you know a resource the two by two asset on the on the grid right or or this unit is one by one and so you can it moves at this pace back but it didn't design the colors and the silhouettes to read a certain way to give a competitive advantage one way or another that wasn't factored into the game design what was factored in the game design are the stat attributes how fast the unit moves balance it balanced for balance like the spread of a certain effect area of effect weapon but it's not how visually, like how 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 that changes uh, the gameplay. So, when you're requiring the AI to take that into account, you're also assuming that th that's that's gonna. Like, we don't know how humans process, you know, the the Templar lightning storm versus a a swarm cloud from from the, the Zerg, right? Like that, you're adding another layer of complexity to DeepMind that maybe gets in the way of it just learning the game. And it's learning the three different factions a whole, like starting from scratch every single time. 
Oh, it's like, got to be. You know, will DeepMind become expert in one before it can even beat the, a novice Hopefully AI? Hopefully not Zurich. All right, DeepMind playing the Protoss again. Now, What's up? To be clear, AIs cannot beat the top players at StarCraft. It's a joke <laughs> right now, currently. Currently, yeah. So, so if this happens, this is a huge deal. Yeah. I hope they import the uh, eSports commentators for this. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be amazing, right? Right. Yeah. Save that giant StarCraft II world championship setup and put a deep mine avatar in that in that soundproof box. You're gonna shoot, shoot, root for the human every time. <laughs> no way. Some of those star, uh, SE two players are jerks. And you put a little put some googly eyes on the computer. Right. Yeah. Helps to personify it. That's right. That's right. Give empathy. Yeah, that's why Westworld's not so believable. I can't walk into the Sweetwater Saloon and play StarCraft II with one of the robots. You can watch a piano play itself, but where's the StarCraft II playing robot? By the way, that I love the modern music being played on the player piano. Yeah. That is one of my favorite parts of the whole show. Episode 6 has two great songs from one band that you'll have to wait to watch. Uh, Paint It Black by Rolling Stones is in the top, is in the first one. Yep. yep. Blew me away. Blew me away. Black Hole Sun? Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um... All right, uh, before we move on to our next segment, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode of The Snelling Test, and that's Squarespace. Uh, whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, <coughs> it's all included with your Squarespace website. Creating a Squarespace website is easy because it's a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content just with a click of a mouse, drag and drop from a variety of beautiful templates with their best-in-class online store of award-winning templates, customizable settings, and all plug-in free. You can also get a free custom domain if you sign up for a year of Squarespace. So that makes adding a domain to your site really simple. There are simple, seamless commerce tools and also 24-7 customer support. So start your free trial today. Just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TEST to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, go to squarespace.com and support our podcast by using the offer code TEST to get 10% off your first purchase. And now on with the show. Let's move on to our next segment. Now it's time for a moment of science. Ah, the return. It's been a few weeks. Uh, apologies for taking some time off, but I was running this big science festival, which concluded on Saturday. Thank you to all the tested people that actually came by and said hello. I got to do something really fun on Saturday. Our closing event is we take over AT&T Park, where the San Francisco Giants play baseball, and fill it with a bunch of hands-on science for uh, kids and families and make it completely free so every anyone can come and meet a scientist. Uh, they actually, they the Giants sent a camera crew that would follow me around and we would do broadcast to the scoreboard. So I got to interview You're like Amy G. Yeah, exactly like Amy G. So I got to interview uh, this astronaut, Steve Smith, who actually was the lead astronaut to repair the Hubble mission up on a scoreboard. It was sort of one of those life affirming events. So thanks to everyone that came, but on to the moment of science, I'm actually going to track back to the election because there's a few local initiatives that really dealt with science in a really interesting way. First, we're going to the Florida Keys. Ready for your vacation? Mm. Well, Florida's had an, um, has had a few hundred cases of Zika outbreak. And in one particular community in the Florida Keys, in uh, Monroe County, and in a community called Key Haven, 
they had a ballot initiative on whether to allow a British pharmaceutical company called Oxitec to re- to release uh, in a very controlled way a genetically modified mosquito that was designed to die within one life cycle. So when it would breed with other mosquitoes, that offspring would essentially be sterile hmm. and die as a way of controlling this. They've done this pharmaceutical company has done experiments in Brazil in a couple other locations. It's seemingly positive results. So the what's complicated here is it was a non-binding measure. The community, the small community where the experiment's going to be done, Key Haven, rejected it. The larger county approved it. And now the, it goes to a five-person board, uh, which is like a mosquito control board, who actually um, three of the five members said they would follow the vote, which is now split. So we don't know what's going to happen. This is really geared towards the 80s Egypti mosquito, which is a very hardy mosquito that transmits Zika and dengue among other infectious diseases. It's a really interesting idea. I'm curious, what would you do if there was a mosquito measure on the ballot here in you know, where we lived? I know it's ridiculous because San Francisco doesn't really have mosquitoes. I would do what you told me to do. <laughs> I would. I, it's hard because I understand the some of the community responses like, we don't want to be part of an experiment. Yep. But somebody has to be part of the experiment. On the, and also Zika is terrifying. Yeah, especially if you're starting a family and you're you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant, uh, and the trials are positive, uh, but that whole precautionary principle of like undue harm, uh, this getting sort of out of control that I think has been programmed by Hollywood and rightfully from some other sources, it's a challenging position. Even myself, who I I deeply believe in the science, there's a lot of good studies about it. I wasn't like 100% for this. So I think there's interesting times ahead in this particular community. 538's science team has actually done the best coverage on this or stat news if you want to follow up on what's going to happen over the next couple of months because that board decision is going to decide the fate of this. And we've never seen a trial like this in the U.S. Another measure, this one actually came up on our ballots. Uh in many communities across the country, they voted on a soda tax, on a yeah. sugar-sweetened beverage tax. Typically, it's been about one penny per ounce, which is pretty significant. So, like, a Coke would get 12-cent tax. But not Diet, not diet, diet Coke. So, so it it's doesn't affect sugar, you, for sure. It, it's sugar-sweetened beverages. You know, I see it as a boba tax. <laughs> uh, it's not really a boba tax because it's only on sort of um, – of beverages that you buy at like convenience stores, like that kind of things, like the Gatorades of the world and stuff. Prepackaged, prepackaged, correct. Okay. Um, so it's not ice cream, not ice cream, not 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 um, milkshakes. Correct. Um, most of us probably noticed there was a significant amount of advertising done on this topic against it. Against, against it. it. Yeah. yeah. The science for it um, has been done uh, by a, a number of institutions, including the one I work for, um, which has pegged estimates about the reduced case of of obesity and diabetes with the reduction of this um, uh, usage because of the tax somewhere between like 26 to 50,000 cases uh, uh, over the lifespan of the tax, which is pretty significant because that people that have type two diabetes put a pretty significant strain, financial strain on the healthcare system. Right. So this idea is grounded in some good science, good question mark. I mean, it's hard to make projections out that far, 
Uh, but there is serious links between the sugar that's used in these sugar-sweetened beverages to metabolic changes in your body. It passed overwhelmingly here in the Bay Area. So we're going to actually get to see uh, the impacts of that. How do you guys feel about this? Just so, like the idea of putting a tax on a on a really specific class of beverages. I yeah. voted for it. I voted for it too. I'm, I mean, first of all, I don't drink soda. As, a, as I mean, I, I used to. Um, I just don't enjoy it as much anymore. I do drink iced tea and I load it up with sugar. So it's not that I'm against sugar, but I'm certainly uh, in favor of a tax that w- improves people's well-being and health in, for, in, in general. I saw it happen with, uh, with the bag tax. You know, mm-hmm. We have a 10 cent uh, additional charge if you want to have a bag to take your food with you if you buy something in a little grocery store. Um, and I'm all for it. I mean, I, I think that that's, it helps the, helps the environment and this would help people's health. I've heard it. It def, definitely def, disproportionately affects those with less income. Uh, so I I definitely waffled on it a little bit, but the science is pretty strong. The World Health Organization is a big backer of these taxes uh, like to I'm, curb usage. Right, and I'm not. It's it's not a vote for regulation, which it technically is regulation, but it is a re- vote to acknowledge the effects of sugar um, in in public health. Uh, we I think we'll see the results of this in a in a few years it's going to take a decade or more to really understand if this made any meaningful impact yeah. um, but i think that's interesting couple last stories um i have been a big excited enthusiastic person about the idea of artificial organs this uh, is the o- I- organs organs okay the idea is that if we were able to take this uh the scaffold of one of your or one of your kidneys yeah and implant s- like stem cells into it to regrow kidney tissue. oh real biological artificial organs yeah. yeah and regrow them then we'll be able to transplant it back into you because it's all you so yeah. you won't have there isn't a risk of of uh, rejection well we have a first trial from the university of michigan about creating artificial lungs and implanting them in mice and not having them rejected Okay. It's pretty fascinating. Stem cell research? Uh, Yeah, it's a mix of stem cell and then this. So it's a combination of different things coming together Hmm. because it's, uh, they did use stem cells in this case. Uh, It's pretty fascinating and exciting that lungs aren't easily transplantable either for the most part, let alone in mice rather, rather than humans. So, but this idea of using a scaffold then implanting cells to regrow tissue and then implanting it in another uh, I- into an animal, incredibly exciting, especially since um, respiratory diseases, particularly stuff like lung cancers, are incre- have a high fatality um, once they progress hmm. beyond a certain stage. Uh, and this goes to the fact that next Monday on the uh, University of California, San Francisco Facebook page, I'm doing a Facebook Live with the pioneer of the kidney version of this from our university. So we'll be doing a chat particularly on artificial kidney development, which just this past year got FDA approval. Oh, nice. Yeah, minor plug there. Where does Trump stand on stem cell research? He didn't really take a strong position. If you go to sciencedebate.org slash 20 answers, uh, his campaign responded to a number of of science questions, and stem cells wasn't a particular call out, but the idea is it was folded into biological research. Um, and he s- said something that didn't really indicate a strong position either way. There's some other his other speeches that have indicated that he doesn't see a lot of value in 
the National Institutes of Health funding system, which is where a majority of funds for stem cell research come mm. from. So overall, the science community is very negative about um, his election based on prior comments, but no one really knows what that means in actuality. Like, I think what we've seen from Trump is he has made certain comments about uh, topics, but whether or not he's actually going to have the motivation to enact legislation on them yeah. are two different things. Uh, hopefully when he sees the business, and I'm sure he understands the business implications, but there's a lot at stake in terms of competition with other countries. There is. So I think this uh, this battle within the uh, Republican nature to re reduce spending at the government level and maintain our competitive edge in high-tech fields is going to become an issue. A ridiculous story to end. There is a new NBC pilot that I saw casting info for produced by Jennifer Lopez. It's called CRISPR, named after the gene editing technique. That's right. <laughs> is it actually mm. named after the gene editing technique? It is. Um, oh goodness. And uh, it's going to be a, a sort of a serialized uh, bioterror, um, uh, like law and order style series. It sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you love it. You love the name, though. Science I gotta, procedural. I gotta get my headshot together, put out for this. You, you want to be the the guy in the lab, the guy in the field. I'll be the sweaty guy in the lab that gets, you know, in, makes incredible movements in gene editing over a fifteen minute period in mm. an episode. Between be the incredible. commercial breaks. Yeah. <laughs> the VR minute. Virtual reality this week. Oh, that that song is the highlight of my week. Hey, we are one w a month away from release of Oculus Touch. I know. Knock we, on wood. You're, whatever. You're, you're closing your eyes, Jeremy, and imagining <sighs> using it right now. Everyone with the Oculus Rift is doing the same thing. <laughs> uh, well, you, you can you can prep for your room for Oculus Touch because Oculus has started selling additional sensors. Uh, mm. Oculus Touch will give you a second sensor, but in many of the demos we saw at Oculus Connect, they were encouraging three sensors or had rooms set up for three sensors. I think I'm going to be a three-sensor setup in, in my room. You're not? No. I'm going to test because the, the developers are under mandate to create two-sensor games, and the, th the third sensor is supposed to improve things. You want min-spec? Uh, yes. I think someone on this panel needs to have min-spec. Okay. Um, and... I want to sense the problem areas. You know, I don't want to go True. into three just assuming things. I want to actually, if I have to go three, I want to feel a sense of you know, improvement. You can have a third sensor and still unplug it to test the two sensor scenario, <laughs> yeah, but, but then plug it in to get the better experience yes, potentially. That's true. Unknown potentially. I want to feel once. the. I want to feel the pain. Okay. If there is pain, and and you can always buy a third sensor later. Plus, like some of these games, you can play in a way that's compatible with two, and some that are three. Like the third really gives you um, reduces occlusion when you're turning your whole body around. Well, three sixty. Yeah. And those touch controllers aren't visible by the two that are ostensibly in front of you. Yeah. Um, and so. If you learn to play certain games that you don't have to spin around in, mm -hmm. but you could, mm -hmm. by not spinning around, then you're fine. Um, and there's, there, God, I forget what game I was playing. I guess uh, it's super hot. I think I was crazy spinning around, but it turned out I didn't have to. So that that's a matter of like teaching yourself how to play games. Then again, um, Lone Echo, you gotta you gotta turn around. That's right. I can imagine when that comes out, I'll be getting a third sensor. And that's the only game at Connect where they had a handler doing cable management. That's right for you. 
because in most of the Oculus demos that we tried, even though the the demo areas were in like live, fake living room, you know, they had a TV and they had a shelf. Like the most people are playing their Oculuses in front of a, a desktop computer, a laptop computer, and not necessarily in the middle of a room space. Mm-hmm. It's not kind of the room scale setup that that Valve really encourages and SteamVR encourages with the lighthouses. So, you know, you're gonna while you can do 360 and spin around, you're not gonna be walking 10 feet one direction, 10 feet another direction. So, are you keeping your Oculus in the office? Yeah, I think which is where you have it now, Jeremy. Yeah. Mine is in my office, which is more of a, a standing experience kind of space, yeah. Yeah, I'm setting up a new office in my house to use a standing desk and to have that be my VR station. And yeah, so looking forward to that. Uh, also, uh, leading up to it, we have an update to The Climb. Yeah. crytek has been busy. They have Robinson Journey out for PSVR, and now The Climb <laughs> gets a new update. 1.2 patch. What's new in this patch? Uh, it sounds like we'll be getting a new level. Which okay. is which is cool. Um, which I, apparently I would assume is a whole new mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, touch control as support is in is free. So it comes out a day the same day as touch. Is that December sixth or is touch coming out sixth after that? Yeah. Okay. So same day as touch. Uh, so that's great. So climb owners, as we hoped, uh, it wasn't a cheap game. It was like fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get a free update for touch, which is really interesting. I imagine a lot of people are perfectly happy to replay that from start. That's oh something my. that we really want to show. How, how they use touch. Because as we've discussed in this podcast, touch for a game, for a climbing game, doesn't make sense because you're, it might, because of the, the animation in the, the current controller-based game where if you let go, you, you, once you grab on something, it moves your body up. Yeah. Like, I, I want to see how that's adapted. Um, yeah, and how they have reduced motion sickness. Like for jumping, for example. Because it's not like Lone Echo where in zero G where you can, Pull and, and you can. It is also technically a climbing game because you're climbing around your your zero g environment. But that one you have um, your floating physics. Mm-hmm. So gravity in the climb inhibits that. You yeah. And you have to have animations for jumping, for for mm-hmm. vaulting. Sure. For the for the climb, you imagine that new um, uh, controller that uh, that Steam was coming out with, where you could actually open your hand, would be more idealized for it. But I mean, like the experience of the climb so far was like holding your controller just like at your at your chest or below. I have to imagine that touch is going to ex- like be even if it's not a perfect improvement on that game, it's going to be such a huge leap forward because that was the only part of that game that was missing for me. I see. I felt like it was a great. It's it's still the game I recommend to people because it it uses a gamepad in a way that I've never never considered yeah and it makes me feel like i'm climbing that mountain even though my hands are on a gamepad it's focused the the gamepad your your holding of the gamepad and fades away and you're more focused on the game of holding triggers halfway down yeah and looking around your environment and you're playing a game very consciously but you're still being immersed so i without having physical hand tracked actions yeah yeah i think it's ironic though because that you would think that that touch would be a natural fit for this game, and it it just might it might be better for all I know, and I hope that it is, because when you see this game, you think that's a touch game. It's got to be touch, but it's so well tailored, and I think designed for gamepad. That touch is actually, you know, it's a, it could be a stretch. We'll see. Uh, you know, if you uh, look up on Oculus, there's a video for Red Alert to VR. Now, don't get too excited. There's no real Red Alert for VR out right now. But 
uh, someone has made in Unreal Engine 4 a, a port, their own fan version of Red Alert 2. And it looks very fun. It looks awesome, actually. Is it 3D? Because Red Alert was sprite-based. It's, yeah, fully 3D, uh, using the Vive controller to pick up units. Um, it makes me think, I mean, who knows if this is actually something that they're going to turn into a real game or whatever. But we've played a bunch of RTS games in VR. Yeah. Um, with the with the both with touch and also with uh, the gamepad at the Oculus launch, none of those have really captured my attention. Um, I know you're not a big RTS player, but it seems like developers are still trying to make VR RTS games flashy and immersive, but not fine tuned for balance. And it may take a port of an existing RTS game like this, like this, or StarCraft or whatever know. before people really start adopting VR RTS. Don't you think the interface has a lot to do with that, though? And Red Alert and traditional RTS games are meant for 2D shortcuts. monitors. For sure. Yeah, mouse and keyboard, like, really quick flicks of the wrist. And it's it's more like I, I, moments we need to start from scratch with maybe a small, a lower, uh, s- slower speed, you know, maybe some different scale kind of map. The thing, that, and that scale is a really important thing. In, in the RTS games we've played so far in VR, because they immerse you, they put the world in front of you. Navigation around that world has been has not been great. It's moving units. It's like turning a, your unit into an airplane and flying around the map. Um, I want to see RTS games where it's like Super Mario Galaxy, where you have like a sphere and you can spin the world around and quickly mm-hmm. scale up and down and manipulate using your hands, manipulate the environment around. And you can have fog of war, you can have, but but let you use the quickness and intuition of your hand movements yeah. to traverse that world, as opposed to just clicking shortcuts and, and jumping back and forth. Yeah, I think you're onto something. And there is that um, there is that RTS game that's more like Homeworld. That's um, do you remember that from um, from Oculus Connect where you use these space hoops? Game? Yeah, space game. You drag units and you send them to from planets to planets. Um, I forget the name of that one, but that one that one had had hmm. really good immersion, and that one was more you didn't scale things up and down, but you were like it, it was like the um, like Zortex but RTS, huh? Where your your body wasn't present in that space, but you were able to walk around like an empty galaxy, right? And go from planet to planet and send units there. So it reminded me of Homeworld. I want to see something like that, too. Um, and then finally, in uh, the VR Minute, uh, this week I've been testing the, and it ties into what we've been testing, the PS4 Pro. I see. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump to the end. It's a little, I think it feels like a missed opportunity to me. Hmm. Um, if you've been following, uh, the, the, the Sony had announced with the PS4 Pro that the way they were adapting this mid-generation console upgrade to work and be backward compatible with all PS4 games is that, yes, you could play every PS4 game. PS4 will still be the min-spec that developers have to develop for, but with the PS4 Pro, some games you would be able to patch or even out of the box let you turn on specific enhancements. But the what type of enhancements you get with the PS4 Pro is not consistent. It's not sure it's not just a frame rate increase or just being rendered in 4K or fidelity. You have to kind of choose one or the other. You have to choose one or the other? Yeah. Uh, and and what? Yeah. So it's technically a system that is twice as powerful as the PS4, but for some games you have the option of either rendering in 4K if you have a 4K TV and you have HDR10 support. Or, you have a 4K TV? Yeah, so my husband has one, um, a 55-inch Samsung that I've been using that on. And 
or you can choose running the game at twice the frame rate, or you can choose turning on anti-aliasing and lighting effects, but you can't wait all three. What? Yeah. But the 4K is also HDR? The 4K is HDR. Okay. Yeah. So So they want to give benefits to people who have 1080p TVs and also for those that have 4K. It seems a little bit like we know not everyone has X, Y, or Z, so we're going to give them the option, but you can't have X, Y, and Z. So what? which feature is the best? For 4K. Really? Easily running it, running games at 4K is better than doubling the frame rate or uh, or turning on graphical effects, if you have a 4K TV, of Be- course. Because of the resolution or because the HDR? The res- because of the resolution. Really? Yeah. You really care about, like there's a huge difference between 10, That is the and 4K? only thing that I have found noticeable is the resolution difference, running a game natively at 4K and one at, at 1080. All right. And it, that, that, it is something that needs to be seen. Um, and we'll have a video later this week showing some of those differences. Uh, but for VR, and why we're talking about this in the VR Minute, it's the same deal. There's no automatic bump up for all the games. games now, that's to... surprising because there is only one display um, device for PSVR. Exactly, and it's not, 1080, it's, it's not 4K. It's a 1080 yeah. screen. So uh, like the perfect way, the ideal way you would have the PS4 Pro work with VR is get a frame rate boost. Right now, there are three ways that games can run in PSVR, 60 FPS, 90 FPS, or 120 FPS native. At 60 FPS, it gets doubled to 120 with the reprojection, and that happens in the coprocessor unit. Uh, or 90, it's their kind of their baseline native um, native uh, rendering. I would love for PS4 Pro to just be able to bump 90 FPS to 120. Yep. Or bump 60 to 90 native and it'll give, give you that option right you can do 120 with reprojection and see a little bit of those dis- distortion edge effects or get 90 and be a little less smooth but not get any uh, artifacts and mm-hmm. require a little more processing power you stuff download patches and some of these patches don't even give you that option for frame rate improvements they just give you visual improvements blurg yeah uh the biggest thing of course is no built-in uh uhd media support no 4k blu-ray on a sony console which they've now, I mean, people have known this for a long time. That's odd, though, because it's, it's their format. Dumb. It's the Sony format. Like, they fought so hard to win the Blu-ray war against HDTV, HD DVD, and now they've given up. They, they must think streaming is more profitable in the future. That's, that's what I think it feels like. I mean, Xbox One S, which is 4K support, has 4K Blu-ray support. Yeah. And Scorpio will, will theoretically have it, too. Yeah. So there will be no PlayStation 4 of this generation, because I can't see them announcing a Pro Pro. <laughs> later with uh, with physical 4K Blu-ray support. No. Um, all right, wh- here's what we've been testing. Testing this week. Hey, what have you guys been testing? Oh, I've been waiting for this one. I have been waiting, waiting, waiting. What is the tested mantra? Always be testing. Always be testing. No, no, no. The one test a product for what it is right now, yeah. not yeah. for what it promises. <laughs> and holy crap, am I about to do that all over Google Home? I couldn't have been more excited about a product. I think I'm. I was most excited about this product this year. Okay, so Google Home. Google is, Home is, is the uh, is the uh, Amazon Echo competitor. I put it in my living room. Did, did you already have Echo? I have Echo. Okay, okay. I put it in my living room, and I am a full all-in on Google person. Yeah. I have yeah. Gmail. 
I use Google Calendar. I use uh, Android. Android phone. It. I have Chromecast. I have every, basically every Google device. And this integrates with basically none of them well. <laughs> <laughs> so here are the basics. So I have a Google Calendar. All of you guys do? Yes, sir. Do you have multiple calendars? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Google Home only works with your main one. So when I ask what's going on tomorrow, it can't really answer. Yeah. Uh, and I found that piece of functionality really disturbing because it is, A, something that Google has full control of, and B, the Echo does better right? in right. its current state, which is just oddly disappointing. Um, and two... For Chromecast, because I put it in the living room, I wanted it to be able to control certain media options. So it can play from YouTube fine, even though the search hasn't been great for that. But it can't open up other apps on Chromecast. So it can't open up Netflix. It can't open up Hulu. It can't open up stuff. So when yeah. I say play Luke Cage on Netflix, it can't do it, even though everything is there for it to do it. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's a very limited device in my living room. It can hear me fine. It's I think in terms of its speech recognition, its ability to sort of communicate back to me, it's on par with Alexa. Um, but you, there's one last thing that uh, drives me nuts. Oh, boy. Just nuts about mm. this thing. So I have an Android phone. The trigger word is the same for the phone as the home. Mm -hmm. So I use my phone as a second screen oftentimes when I'm in the living room, right? Like I think people do. If I say the keyword, my phone also picks up that keyword and says listening on another device. So I can't be using my phone while I'm instructing Google Home to do something else. Oh, so yeah. they, they they jumped ahead of the, the Alexa issue where you have multiple Alexas, it only picks up on one. And also on the iPhone Siri side where if you have your watch and the phone, it only picks up on one when both screens are on, uh, except they make it an operable even though it's not using any of the computational power on your phone. That's right. My phone is also listening, and it just says, you can see the readout of what I'm saying on my phone, So, and that just hops in front of what I'm doing on my phone. What's the better solution there? Because your phone it would otherwise... It needs to listen on one device. Yeah, but your phone's closer. Your phone would respond if it's the same activation word. But the idea that it's... I, I think that's a very limited functionality like if i'm actively doing something on my phone no there's you make no it way an i think you make it an option you make an option yeah. where you say because uh, obviously the google doesn't know which device is closer to you proximity wise they're not measuring decibels on the microphone arrays i mean i guess they could why not amazon does well let me ask you this why do they have the same keyword yeah so you i would, can't change you, that no so you, what even mm -hmm. amazon you can have you have yes, two you, options three three options oh yeah. i guess i could i think there is a second option so but then i'm but that's not how it comes out of the box. It, you, right. they, I think they should give you the option of, one, choosing a second keyword so you can differentiate between your phone. And, and even when you have the second keyword, uh, the other option is if you don't need that feedback on your phone, because we talk about feedback being maybe an important thing for these uh, devices. If you don't need the feedback immediately on your phone, then it just give you the audio feedback and let you use your phone. I, I get why they did that. Fine. But that's not how people use Google Home. The no. convenience of Google Home is that it is a hands-off device. So it shouldn't affect your phone in any way. That, for the most part, yes. Uh, so I am really unhappy with this product, like verge of returning it unhappy with this product. I don't know, man. It doesn't sound to me like you're following the mantra. Did it ever purport to be able to play Luke Cage? I mean, honestly. 
No, know? but I mean, don't you think that's a feature that should be able to come? I mean, we're talking about it communicating with Chromecast. The yeah. calendar thing really drives me nuts. I, don't, I mean, uh, the thing is, uh, Echo's been out for a long time now. And when it first came out, it wasn't nearly as full featured. And they add features every week. No, So no doubt. So I, I still have a lot of hope where, where this device is going to go. But that's why I started with the test the product for what it is right now. Yeah. And for what it is right now, it's just not remotely there. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is consistent with what a lot of reviewers are saying. Fewer fewer microphones uh, in their array as well, according to the teardown. You you've had it as well. What is your experience? You know, it's it's good for Spotify because it ties into Spotify well, and that's an option that's built in. Uh, Echo doesn't do that. Echo, I I have not used Echo with Spotify because I use it with Prime Music. Mm. Um, but I had the same calendar problem. Uh, and and it can it can't set reminders. I can't do the things that I can normally do with yeah. with Siri on it. Can you send text messages? Um, nope. No, you can't send text any messages. email functionality. Nope. That's got to be coming because that would be their major advantage. Well, then buy yeah. it for what it is today. Yeah, no right. kidding. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I guess are, are we going to do a full review of that? At some yeah. Point? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we so, have all the devices. We have Siri. We have uh, Alexa. And we have Google Home, so let's bring them all in and and and, and do I'm a video. being a little hyperbolic because I I I think it's because I had such high expectations for this. Product development ain't easy, but assistant is something that they've you know they're supposed to be great at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, last thing, uh, I've been testing a new laptop. I talked I, I talked about it last week, the HP uh, Omen 17. Um, loving it so far. Uh, it's having a GeForce 1070 in a laptop is is awesome. Uh, games run amazingly. Uh, we're going to have another laptop review going up, I believe, shortly after this podcast goes live in the morning. I uh, can't say what it is yet, but uh, you won't be surprised once you uh, once you see the review. And I'm also liking that laptop. Um, so wait for that. And I think that does it. Uh, sorry to be so cryptic, but uh, we have a lot, a lot of products going around circling right now and to be reviewed um it is the holiday season but we will uh leave you today now and go back out into the real world yeah, i just want to say one thing for as much division as there's been especially in the u.s over the past bit like let's treat each other well we are like united some of the best messages i've seen today are about us coming together regardless of the results of things and while I can't say I'm thrilled or happy with how things went last night, um, I'm very committed for us being together. And there ain't no way I'm moving to Canada. Yeah. I'm roll up my sleeves and keep going. And thank you, Kishore and Jeremy, for podcasting with me today to give me a little bit of distraction from the real world. And hopefully this podcast gave you guys a little distraction as well. There, I know there's a lot of serious things going on, and it'll take time for us to adjust. Uh, so... With that, uh, we're going to leave you with this outro. I really, that want, may, I really want to. May or may not, or let's just ad-lib it. Uh, wait, wait. Here it comes. All right. Here we go. From Matthew Prestridge. Has an interesting title. <laughs> come on. Come on, Internet. <laughs> Cue SoundCloud. It's not working. I guess we got to do this Man, acapella. Come on. Dude. We're going to walk outside and, and the world's going to be on fire. I quit. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.